0: Westwood One presents
1: The Pollsters. The Pollsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democrat Pollster. And I'm pollster. Kristen
0: Zoltis-Anderson, Republican Pollster.
1: And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we're back. I'm so sorry. We did not intend to
0: take a week off. This is Kristen's incompetence is why we took a week off. So I am so sorry, listeners. This is all on me.
1: (laughs) You know, once in a while, we need a week off. I mean, look, that's what the polls say. The
0: polls say that sometimes (laughs) people want
1: to check out. They don't want to check emails. They need a little time off and, you know, go shopping or think about labor union. So, you know, we were doing that. Um, and we are now back and Kristen's on remote and we're, we're using one of our cool fancy apps for recording this. Um, so we're just, you know, we're, we're slowly getting back in the groove of the post labor day thing, catching up on some terrible news, um, and hoping everybody who's listening is staying safe wherever they are. So uh, what are top the lines top
0: this line? week? With Hurricane Harvey's aftermath still being cleaned up in Texas, we have a new hurricane on the horizon as Irma bears down on the East Coast. We'll talk about what people think about the response to Hurricane Harvey. Um, we'll dig into Trump's job approval. He's back up to 40. What's going on there? And What does the Republican coalition look like, and why did Kristen get herself in trouble by talking to a reporter perhaps too freely last week? We'll talk a little bit about some polling on DACA as well as the religious makeup of America, why Hillary Clinton has an issue with magic abs and a census, only it's not the census you think it is.
1: <laughs> that was a great listener tip and we'll get to it at the end of the show. And the winner of our Twitter poll by by a law, by a landslide. So but first our poll of the week um this is we're recording this a little bit after Labor Day and so every year Labor Day Gallup and others do um a little polling on uh, to check in on labor unions. Labor unions as folks know will often have things they'll have like a infographic around this time of year, the folks who brought you Labor Day, the folks who brought you the weekend. If folks haven't seen the old vintage "Apps Me" video with like a kind of gag voiceover, like a '70s like Philly accent voiceover, folks should look it up. That's another that's another good like classic labor thing. So anyway, uh, Gallup showed that 61% of Americans approve of labor unions, and that's a new high since um, 2003. So that's been going up. You know, the trend overall has been going up. So it's not as high as it was in. The '50s and '60s, but it's higher than it's been in recent years. Um, But a lot of other folks think of Labor Day as sort of a like shopping day or a shopping break or vacation break. The folks at Wallet Hub sent us some. We got quite a few good polling releases over the last two weeks. So a majority of Americans say they spend. Labor Day, making Labor Day related purchases. I know when I came back from my week off, I had like a zillion promotional emails. I had to unsubscribe from everything because I just felt so inundated. But most people, according to this poll, say they spend spend money on some kind of Labor Day sale, something, clothes, back to school, et cetera.
0: I wish, I, I remember last year is when I moved into my house. It was right around Labor Day and it was like, oh, I should go out and like, I can get furniture for my new house because of all the Labor Day sales. But it was just too overwhelming with like, the move having you know like, I didn't know what I wanted to go anywhere. So this year, it was like, ah, oh, maybe I'll go out and look for things. I did not ultimately find any furniture for my house. But you know, did sort of go out and about have some leisurely days walking up 14th Street, get nice coffee, go to Miss Pixies. Uh, it was good times. It was good times.
1: That's good. That's good. I've been with Miss Pixies when Miss Pixies used to be On Columbia before it was on 14th Street, when it was on Columbia Avenue, right in the heart of Adams Morgan many years ago. Now it's on 14th Street, but it used to be the center of that old neighborhood. Um, so turning into Hurricane Harvey, the relief effort and Trump's visit. And I think there was some breaking news right before we started to record about the House working on a package for relief, although lots of folks are really focused on Irma, which is about to bear down on the Southeast and in the Caribbean. Um, there's some new polling from uh, Morning Consults and Politica always are a source of up to the minute, like what is happening in the news that day. Um, and they found, I mean, you know, they found, I, I thought... I mean, it does reflect the news, and I thought this was a good, you know, some sort of positive polling. We've seen that people felt pretty good about the emergency relief um, from the government, from FEMA, from from Texas uh, sources, from the Red Cross. There was bipartisan agreement that relief effort was going pretty well. More division on Trump. I guess that's not a surprise. Um, and people really open and willing and interested in seeing more relief funding and not really having it be too tied to, you know, budget back and forth. And I'm
0: pretty sure that before we started recording that the vote was it was almost unanimous in favor of the Harvey relief bill in the house. I think there were like three members, like Amash, Massey and someone else. Sort of like the usual suspects um, voted no, but overwhelming uh, yes agreement for it. That's good. Well,
1: I mean it's good that there's some Bipartisan agreement. We'll see how things change after. Presumably, there'll be even continue to be more bipartisan support. We'll see how that changes, what the conversations are in the House. Um, Even a majority of folks that they found that Trump's visit to Texas was appropriate, although they were a little bit more divided on how he did. Congress and their reaction, at least when this poll was done, was seen as worse than some of these other folks tested. But I, you know, Congress hadn't really done anything yet. So I guess that's not.
0: And, you know, surprise. it could be sort of moving into our next story that the, the response to Harvey in the sense that, Hey, the government has not, you know, totally screwed this up and, you know, it's going to be a tough haul. And, you know, Trump went down there. He's, he's showing that he cares about it. You know, is that why his job approval has now ticked back upward? Um, job approval now sitting just Thirty nine point six as of press time. Um, again, not great, but but better than it has been. Certainly not not the lows. Um, and you know, as we've said, a lot of Republicans are sticking with the president. The part of why his numbers don't fluctuate that much is because there are folks are just so dug into their own camps. So um, Pew Research Center has some data that the survey they conducted August fifteenth through twenty first. Um, and they basically say, do you agree with Donald Trump on, you know, blank, what issues facing the country today? Is it all or nearly all, many, a few, none or almost none? Um, and for Republicans, 69 percent of Republicans say that they agree with Donald Trump on, you know, many, if not all issues. Um, for Democrats, it is 93 percent say they agree with him on few to no issues. <laughs> So more consensus among those who say they, from the other party, saying we don't agree with him than Republicans saying they do. Um, and Republicans, interestingly, you know, they say they, do you have, um, do you like the way Donald Trump conducts himself as president? Do you have mixed feelings about it or do you not like it? Even Republicans say they have mixed feelings about how he conducts himself as president. Um... This is a refrain that I've heard in focus groups a lot that from Republicans, from base voters, that they they love what he's trying to do, but they get frustrated with the tweets because it gives his enemies a reason to go after him, et cetera, et cetera. So this poll kind of lines up with uh, in some ways doesn't surprise me, um, but but certainly it can't be good for the White House that among Republicans, only 31 percent say they agree with Trump on all or nearly all issues. You'd you'd rather have that be a little higher um, Republican party is, is a bit divided, uh, bit divided these days. Yeah. I mean, it, it's
1: interesting that like, you know, it's the policies are not really the issue among Republicans. It's the sense of, you know, how, like, how, how is he trying to execute these policies? What's his temperament or what's his, how is he behaving? And that's what this other question, uh, how do you feel about the way he conducts himself as president? And that's a little vague because the, you know, there are other questions in the same poll that focus more on his personality kind of stuff. Um, and th- this one question could be more broad. And I was thinking about how I felt about this three point scale, like, have mixed feelings about or don't like, have mixed feelings. I mean, I guess, you know, people are responding to it and they're like, okay, that's the midpoint, but have mixed feelings sounds like it sounds kind of negative to me. It doesn't sound like the midpoint between like and don't like, but maybe it is. Maybe I'm you know, I, I haven't seen that scale. That's not a standard scale. And the fact that and this part of the poll I think made headlines, only a third of Republicans say they like the way Trump is conducting himself as president. Forty-six percent say they have mixed feelings, nineteen percent say they don't like. I mean, that's those are pretty tough numbers. Remember when two-thirds of Republicans say they like, you know, many or all of his policies. So, um, so you have quite a few Republicans who are like, I have mixed feelings about him, but I like a good chunk of his policies um, and they have e, e, folks should check it out we're not going to talk about all of it. Cause some of it is stuff we've described before and seen in lots of polls that people don't like his tweeting. They're worried about the tweeting. That's his big concern, but they, they did get an interesting finding here about um, what do you like most about him or what do you like least about him? Um, uh, uh, and they broke it out by whether, people who approve of trump or they disapproved of trump so you know if you disapproved of trump you were still asked well what do you like most about him and if you approved of, of him you were asked what do you like least about him and and the what do you like most about him um both the approvers and the disapprovers said that the, that his personality and approach are what they liked um most i mean the disapprovers said nothing right but um but if for those who could commit they say his approach and personality and Pew makes the point and it comes up in a couple of places that his personality is both what upsets the greatest number of people, but also a source of real strength for some people um, that it's this double edged sword. And I think they were able to really capture that
0: more than we often see in some. Well, and books. they have some interesting demographic breaks that I think are valuable for us to talk about, because this is a topic that I <laughs> is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, <laughs> you literally wrote the literally book on how book uh, younger voters on <sighs> why young voters would probably not not like a, a, many of the things from this presidency. So, uh, we have a majority of young people, sixty three percent, who say that they do not like the way Trump conducts himself, which. There's majorities among every age group except for uh, senior citizens. And even among senior citizens, it's 48% say they don't like the way Trump conducts himself. As far as like, I, I like how Trump conducts, that, that goes to 8% for 18 to 29-year-olds. And even when they look at young Republicans, like, so, so think about this. These are Republicans and Republican-leaning independents who are under the age of 50, So you are somebody that has not fled the party so completely that you still consider yourself a Republican or a Republican leaner. Even among these folks, only 26% of them under the age of 50 like Donald Trump. So Donald Trump is beloved by, like, older Republicans, but not by younger Republicans and, well... You know the you know the rest of the story. I've, I say this all the time in the show. Like I'm like yeah, uh. <laughs> um. And so this this is sort of where I got myself. Well, I'm say I got myself into trouble. Um, so I gave an interview to Ron Brownstein months ago, where he asked me did I think there was anything that Donald Trump could do as president that would be good with young voters for the GOP? And I really wanted to take the question seriously because it's easy for me just out of hand to say, like, no, the Trump presidency is the opposite of what I would tell Republicans to do to win young voters. I really took the premise of the question seriously, and I thought, I said, look, I think if if Trump's presidency really is about saying, we're going to blow up the way things have been done, we're going to have, uh, you know, sort of radical... Uh, radical new approaches to things where we are willing to try stuff in a very different way, and we're going to blow up stuff that makes the government work very sort of slowly and inefficiently. You know, if, if Donald Trump really does those things and really does, quote unquote, drain the swamp, I mean, there's stuff he can do that I think young voters would like. On the other hand, if he pivots really hard into a, this is what it means to be America, you have to be white, you have to be Christian, you have to be blah, blah, blah. And like, if if he leans into that stuff, that is anathema to young people. So Ron calls me back up a few weeks ago and says, hey, I'm writing a piece on Charlottesville. And what do you think? As, which which Trump showed up? Which Trump uh, presidency do you have? And, and have, like I said, well, it seems to me he is not doing the former. He is doing much more of the latter, right? I have not seen there has not been as much of like, oh, we've blown up the way things are being done. And the swamp is actually being drained. Like from where I sit, a lot of that stuff is is still just as bad. Meanwhile, you have the response to Charlottesville, et cetera. Um, but uh, he, he called me up, I think it was the day after we had recorded our episode where we looked at all of that really uh, atrocious data about people saying like, yeah, the white nationalist protesters kind of had a point. And it was something like 43% of Republicans said that the white nationalist protesters, you know, they went too far, but they had a point. And I was just horrified at these numbers. And so I typically, I mean, I on this show will kind of vent my, you know, I will speak my feelings. But normally when I'm talking to reporters, I try to keep it about like, this is what the data say. This is, it's not about me. Um, so much to my surprise late last week, I wake up to a Google alert. I'm vain and I have Google alerts. And so uh, like of a piece at the Atlantic saying that like Kristen Soltis-Anderson is leaving the GOP. And I'm like, oh God, what has happened now?
1: I know. I came, I came back. I was like, geez, I was only gone one week. Like what? Like, what is happening? Like I'm catching up on my email.
0: So, I'm so like, I mean, A, I think this is, this is uh fun with headlines, right? Like if all you see is the headline, you yes. think, Oh my God, Kristen's leaving. And no, I, I try. I'm, I emphasize in the piece that it, what is, what I am coming to terms with is the idea that there are a few different types of way to be Republican and the way of being Republican that I like, which is the Jeb Bush, please clap type of Republican, that we are a minority in the party and we are becoming an endangered species. And my fight of I'm going to stay in the party and I'm going to try to fight for for Jebian conservatism. That I'm I'm beginning to concede that that may be a fight that I will not win in the short to medium term. Um. So anyhow, I I always react very negatively to anything that's like, oh, Kristen has a sad about the Republican Party. And I think there's a line at the end of the piece, which is not a I say something. He asked me like, oh, well, if the party stays Trumpian forever, what will you do? And I was like, well, maybe there's political space I haven't thought of before, which he, I I love Ron, but he kind of writes it up like I'm endorsing like a third way and like Bloombergian, which is not the case like that. Anyhow. Kids, the lesson out there is re- reporters are lovely and you should, you know, you should give them information that's helpful, but they're not your therapist. <laughs> so, and headlines and always read the piece. Don't just believe the headlines. Okay. And rant. Now I've told you, yes. my our friendly listeners, well, I, my feelings. So there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise that, you know, you and a variety of other you know, Republicans are dismayed by the direction of where the president is going. And certainly, despite, you know, whether he's at 40 or 39 or 38 or 37, the numbers are not good here. Um, you know, the Fox News poll showed that he was, you know, while he's strong on extremely, he's, you know, stronger on things like bully and unstable than on compassionate or moral leader or presidential um, that's, you know, Fox news poll that, that made the rounds. I mean, these numbers are not, you know, they don't seem to be going anywhere in part because he's not doing anything to fix them. You know, I mean, it, the, like showing up in Texas was thrust upon him. His agenda, the rest of the time is, you know, people, you know, very fine people were protesting in Charlottesville, you know, we're protesting in Charlottesville or, you know, DACA, which, you know, whatever the sort of deadline "Quote unquote" deadline that he may or may not have had because of this a lawsuit from uh, a variety of states. Um, if you were trying to put behind you the charges that you were, in, you know, encouraging uh, white supremacists, um, you would not move to ending DACA. You know, that would not be your next move. That would be the opposite of what you want to do. So, um, so I mean, I think that uh, it, h- where he is in terms of race is you know, part of of everything that's happening here. It's part of why his numbers just simply can't you know, they're not, you know, they they are where they are. They're not gonna you know, there doesn't really seem like they're gonna be able to get better unless he puts that kind of agenda behind him. And he doesn't seem inclined to put that agenda behind him. On top of that, you add all the bullying and the, you know, the threats and, you know, staff turmoil. It's 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 hard to really see how, you know, how he gets uh gets behind that. Um, you know, we haven't really gotten to where all the Tax reform issues will go. I guess that's on hold. What happens if there's a government shutdown? That's not going to be very good. Um, what was? I, you know, I was kind of amazed by this uh, YouGov Huffington Post poll that shows, um, you know, fewer people see the uh, the Republican Party is too extreme, which you know, I guess um, I guess is good news compared to where it was and previous times. Um, So seen as less extreme than Trump, I guess that's, you know, that perhaps is good news for Republicans, but it's surprising given that you haven't seen Republicans really distance themselves, distance themselves that much from him uh, in terms of leaders. So, you know, and that brings us to the DACA piece from the last couple of days, which, you know, is not, particularly popular, even with his own. Base. Yeah. And so
0: there's some polling. I, I don't think we have it in our uh, show notes here, but we we I think we've talked about it before where um, I did some polling with a bipartisan polling crew. Um, Neil Newhouse and I were the Republicans. And on the Democratic side, uh, you had uh, Nick Gorovich, whose name I hope I did not just butcher uh, and Celinda Lake, and we did, it's for Forward.us, which is uh, sort of Zuckerberg and the kind of the tech communities immigration group. And yeah, we found that if you framed it as, you know, when we did the survey, it was still the case that President Trump had signaled that he was going to leave DACA in place and that he had not done anything to roll it back at that point. And so the question when you ask, like, you know, President Trump has so far kept in place the DACA plan and you just, you know, say what it is. Uh, Do you support or oppose uh, that decision? You know, Republicans overwhelmingly favor it. So uh, that's not to say that the numbers might not change if Trump were to come out and say, this DACA thing is stupid and I don't like it. Like, would he, uh, you know, would those numbers change? I think what we've seen in a lot of polls is that, yes, those numbers would change. Um, When Trump changes his mind on something, a lot of voters come with him. Um, But that there wasn't a lot of clamoring from within the GOP, even within Trump's base, For him to make a move to get rid of DACA in the first place, that the kind of like it's working fine, leave it alone approach, uh, you know, let's just continue it. Let's not mess with it was something that Republicans were willing to accept, at least in the poll that we had done.
1: Yeah, I mean, Morning Consult Politico found the same thing. Um, You know, as you may know, dreamers are young people who were brought to the United States illegally, often with their parents. Should they be granted work permits or not? And you have majorities of Republicans, independents, and Democrats all say, yes, they should be granted work permits. Um, You know, they have a variety of other questions that show, uh, oh, they have a question about DREAMers, whether they should be allowed to uh, become citizens if they meet certain requirements, or should they be allowed to stay and become legal residents but not uh, become citizens. And you have, you know, majority of Republicans support either of those two options. You only have a quarter of Republicans say They should be deported. Um, You know, it's this and this does not even really go into sort of the crux of the DACA piece specifically, which is if you come here as a child, as a six year old, which is what the average is, um, you know, you're American. It doesn't matter how assimilated or not your parents are. Um, You grow up if you grow up in America from that age, you are an American in terms of how you identify and how, you know, how you're integrated into the fabric here. When we uh, do uh, research with Latinos or other uh, uh, ethnic or um, countries of origin, uh, we ask a variety of different questions about assimilation. It's not like a toggle switch. There are all kinds of different questions, like what's the language you speak at home? What's the, you know, uh, language of the media that you consume. Um, and it's a range because sometimes people speak, you know, one language at home, but all the media that they consume is a different language or during the day when they're with their friends, they speak a different language than when they're, they're at home. And, you know, these kinds of things are all part of the range of assimilation and for the goal for, or at least the implicit, I guess, goal for, you know, folks who are against immigration, is that they want to see people become Americans and they have this, you know, quote unquote idea of what an American is. Um, kids who were, you know, kids who were, have been here since they're six are American. you know. <laughs> and so that's what makes this so upsetting. Um, you know, having sort of lived it and seen it myself, it's just very, it's very upsetting the way this is being portrayed, or at least how now people who were not fo- necessarily following DACA, or maybe that DACA was not there, like number one, immigration issue are now going to be thinking about these children that they're now sort of riled up against. And that to me is just really incredibly upsetting. And it's reflected in some of the polling about worries about racism, which has now become, you know, a a larger partisan divide than it's ever been. It's always been, but now it's particularly large. And then PRI did a study that they just released today. This is, you know, a little slightly different, but just in terms of like what the composition of America is. Where white Protestants are no longer, you know, half of America. They are fewer than half of the public. And these groups that you know are being seen or described by some of these kind of what used to be fringe groups as like this "quote unquote" American identity are are not really, you know, they're not pervasive. These are not, you know, the
0: majority. Yeah, so a lot of the things that I write about in the selfie vote uh, and that have been trends that have been happening for a long (laughs) time is that. You know, the shift of young people away from the GOP is related to the shift of uh, to the racial shifts uh, between parties is related to the religious shifts between parties. Like These things are all tied together. Um, And the trouble that the GOP has is that the trends are ones that have been in the short run working out fine for them electorally, but that in the long run are really, really bad. Um, that if your party really begins to say, okay, we are, we are going to be the party of white Christian America, white Christian America is a smaller and smaller piece of the puzzle. And so you need a party that can be a party for everyone, regardless of their race, regardless of their religion. Um, and if you cannot be that party, you're going to have a long, uh, a hard time surviving over the long term. Now, I think, you know, and, and we are going to be doing an interview with, uh, with Cornell Belcher, um, that I think we're going to put up next week. Um, we have not interviewed him yet, but already, like I'm thinking in my mind of the questions I want to ask him. And one of the ones is, you know, this I this know. debate about for the Democratic Party, and you know, if the Democratic Party seems hostile to White Christian America, you know, in the short run, how much does that complicate uh, things, legislative? You know, if you are somebody who maybe you would agree with Democrats on policies, but you feel like, well, because I'm I'm White and Christian. Democrats don't want someone like me. They think that I'm racist and intolerant, and backwards and bigoted. And even if I'm just your normal white Christian, they don't want me. You know, don't Democrats need those voters? And so I, I think I, I really would. I'm excited to talk to him about about the, sh- the short run implications for Democrats of some of these shifts. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And uh, it, it, for sure. And we're going to talk about a little bit, too, when we talk about um, the Sanders Trump voter phenomenon, um, one other thing that I thought was particularly interesting in the PRI poll was yeah. the age break in unaffiliated, um, where you had 38 percent of 18 to 29-year-olds are unaffiliated, and it's 12 percent, so a third of that among 65 plus. And, you know, I don't know how much, it, and this is just people, how they identify, right? We don't know what's in their heart. And so there are going to be people who are seniors who are like, well, you know, I can't say I'm unaffiliated. That's, you know, that's not what people I know say. And there may be younger folks who feel like it's better to have, you know, it's more kind of in their group to have a label that is unaffiliated rather than have any other kind of label as opposed to the actual belief. So, you know, it doesn't really matter if people identify as unaffiliated. That's, that's interesting. And, you know, how much of that is people feeling like, some of these, you know, some organized religions are not welcoming to them. You know, forget about political parties. Do the people feel that the, you know, religions are not, you know, opening, opening their arms to them? You know, you saw a lot of controversy over uh, some of the statements made by some religious leaders about the LGBT community over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, is this related to something like that or is this just a trend that's happening aside from that? And how does that affect how we talk about religion in a political context, I mean, it used to be, you know, or it has been that, you know, uh, politicians feel like they need to talk about their faith. Maybe that's less true now. We certainly saw a little bit less of that. I mean, Trump, I think, was fooling nobody when he talked about his faith. Um, You know, is that something that, you know, candidates are not going to feel obligated to do as time goes on?
0: You know, Well, and it's interesting on this P.R.I. chart by age to see where the big drop offs are. So, you know, they're actually not really large drop-offs in things like, um, whether it's Black Protestant, um, his, Hispanic Protestant, Hispanic Catholic. The differences between 18 to 29 and 65 plus are not huge. Um, they, they exist somewhat, uh, but, th- but they're not enormous. Um, there's very little Hispanic Protestant at the older edge of the, of the, the range, but, but for, you know, there's actually a lot of young or compared to the older generations, a lot of young Hispanic Protestants. Um, but then you get into, uh, white evangelical Protestants, white mainline Protestants, huge drop-off, white Catholic, huge drop-off. There's a 10 point drop-off from senior citizens to young people among Catholic. There is an 11 point drop-off among mainline Protestant there is a 18 point drop off among evangelical Protestants. So it's really for African Americans and um, Hispanic communities. The the generational change with race does not look as big or as pronounced in this chart as it does with uh, the drop off among whites.
1: Yeah. Well, folks should take a look because there's a lot in there. They have about like 14 key findings. So it's, it's worth taking a look, um, that they go, they go pretty deep and even looking at different States and different, you know, different, uh, smaller religions. Um, so folks should take a look. Um, so next, this was something that bounced around like two weeks ago, certainly Sanders versus Clinton's at the news today, because people were talking about, uh, You know a passage that came from Clinton's book about how she viewed the primary, Um, but there was a headline. Speaking of headlines that lead people to go bananas, there was a headline like, "Did did Sanders Trump voters cost you know Clinton the election or something like that?" Like, and you know, in my feed at least, that went pretty uh, viral um, because there were enough Sanders primary voters who voted for Trump in the general to make the difference in a couple key states. Now, so people took from that, or I think some people took from that, or you could take from that if you just looked at the headline, that that meant that, you know, Sanders, Trump voters cost Clinton the election, you know, therefore, if, you know, if Sanders hadn't run, or if those people had voted for Clinton, you know, or if somehow Sanders had done something differently, all those people would have voted for Clinton. Now, John Sides breaks down the story the article and the research that um, led to this in pretty thoroughly we had john sides on the show several months ago and folks should take a, take a look at the the full article and it was so you know there are a few things one you know how many like looking at how many sanders trump voters there were in the first place and there were fewer sanders trump voters this time around somewhere between 6 and 12% then there were um you know, folks who voted for Kasich and then Clinton or people who voted for, um, you know, Clinton and then McCain. Um, so they looked at a couple different examples. And in these other elections and other different directions, there were more people who voted for one party in the primary and then changed parties for the general or changed party candidates for the general. Um, so that was point one. And point two was that looking at what distinguished these Sanders Trump voters from from people who were Sanders Clinton voters, would not have views on things that were really like the issue divisions in the primary. It wasn't things like trade or um, you know or Wall Street or anything like that, but on race. That they were voters who you know weren't maybe very democratically aligned, who had views toward race and ethnicity that were closer to Trump than to Hillary Clinton. And you know John sides made the point that you know me you know it's hard to really say exactly, you know how can you say which one group you know if X had happened then these voters would have done Y and then the election would have gone in a B and C way. It's hard to really do that even with you know the extensive research that uh, that John Sides has access to. But if it's the issue that really drove the Sanders Trump voters is more about race, then, You know, is that a sign that Sanders campaign drove those voters to Trump when that wasn't the, you know, that wasn't the, you know, that wasn't the argument that Sanders was making in the primary. So, and that's how I took that. I don't know if you saw that differently. It probably didn't go as viral in your feed as it did in my feed, but it was something that I saw. No, yeah. I mean, I think the.
0: I, I think even on the the right, the assumption is that for a lot of Sanders voters, that to the extent that there were Sanders voters in the primary who then became Trump voters in the general, to the extent that they existed in any large way, that it was more that that it wasn't necessarily about um, that, that it was that they that it's that attitudinal stuff that we talked about earlier in this episode, where it was just sort of like a I just want someone who's going to blow stuff up. Um, so I. I yeah, right. I guess you can, you know, find that that winds up including people who may have less. Uh, I can't use the I, I can't use the word cosmopolitan. Inclusive. That's not the word that I'm trying. Like I'm like I'm going. Stand by, my brain Inclusive. is going to the Stephen Pulpit. Miller reference. No, but I mean, yeah, it, or the, the, yeah, that that the their attitudes are not the same as as the main a mainstream Clinton voter. It doesn't mean that they are people with any kind of racial animus or that that was even the thing that was driving them. It's just a thing that is different about them. Um, so th- that's sort of been my my read on these things.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, you know, also the fact that there are fewer Sanders Trump voters than in past elections reminds me of like the thing I was constantly annoyed about as in the run up to the election. People were saying, oh, you know, there's all these Sanders Trump voters because they're just all you know, they're hurting and they're mad and because it's the same, you know, counties and states, even though it wasn't the same people. And the fact that, you know, however you look at it, there aren't as many Sanders Trump voters as in past elections or in other kinds of combinations to me sort of bears out, you know, the fact that I that drove me crazy because it just doesn't seem like there were that many of them. There's going to be some number of them. It's not going to be zero, you know, but it's fewer than in, than in previous elections. But, you know, the point that in terms of what drove them, um, you know, they looked like so this is from the John Sides article, Um, 75 percent of Sanders Trump voters agreed with the statement if blacks would only try harder, they would be just as well off as whites. Only 16 percent of Sanders Clinton voters agreed. I mean, that's a pretty massive difference. Um, And they have, you know, he goes through a couple different examples of that. And, you know, to me, I mean, there's, you know, I I appreciate, I I can, you know, to me, this seems like completely separate from the conversation of did Bernie Sanders campaign hurt Clinton when they talked about trade or speeches or what have you, because this, these differences to me don't seem like they have anything to do with that. Now, maybe I'm reading this article incorrectly, but that's what I take from this article. Maybe other folks, you know, want to dispute that.
0: I think the other reason why. So someone like from my vantage point looks and, and thinks that the the sanders trump voter is is not you know sasquatch it's real uh that, that there may have been some of these folks it may not have been a ton of them but that they or at least there there is a constituency for something kind of like that is in part there was a chart that um was put together by Lee Drutman uh, that I tweeted out uh, again this week. I tweeted out in part in response to the, uh, oh, Kristen's, you know, this, this, the, the Ron Brownstein thing to like sort of p- remind my feed that the, the idea of the like Kasich Clinton voter is not really a thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is. And clearly they find that 38% of people who voted for Kasich in the primary wound up voting for Clinton how many people voted for Kasich in the primary? I assume it's a lot fewer people right. than voted for Sanders in the Democratic primary. Um, but it's, it's basically, this is a chart that lays out, um, on one axis, it's sort of economic conservatism to progressivism. On another axis, it's, I think they call it like, it's either, I don't think it's like social conservatism, but it's kind of like identitarian. We'll just say social conservatism for now. Um, but, but you know, the idea is that you've got a lot of Republicans clustered in the social and fiscal conservative part, but they're not even really clustered around conservative. They're clustered around fiscal moderate, like social conservative, fiscal moderate. Democrats were clustered around progressive economics, progressive culture. But then, like, if you're looking at the other corners, there are a heck of a lot more people in the I'm socially conservative and economically progressive corner than there are in the Oh, I'm socially progressive but economically conservative thing. And like there's this fantasy land of uh, like of people people like, you know, hey, that's the quadrant I'm in, but it's this like acceptance of like right. you're really lonely guys. <laughs> I look at charts I look yeah. at charts like that and I see that <laughs> other quadrant on the opposite side of folks that are uh, you know, more maybe socially or I- conservative along identitarian uh, on that kind of a spectrum, but are, are economically progressive and see a very robust role for government and think, look, there's a heck of a lot more of those people and they're really interesting to study and why they might end up going to Trump. I mean, the sides analysis kind of makes, makes that make some sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess
1: we all, we all want a Well, we all want magic abs is what we what really want.
0: <laughs> I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm morbidly. A little excited to read this Clinton book, but also I'm going to China next week and we'll be off the grid, and I'm not sure if that's a book that I'm allowed to have in China. So I probably won't pick up a hard copy of the airport bookstore and see if I can get it through the Shanghai airport. I imagine that would go badly. <laughs> I,
1: I recommend I recommend going off the grid when to, going off the grid as much as you can. Now speaking of off the grid, we have a listener who we will not name in case like he told his boss that he was going. To like doing continuing education or to like, you know, do some kind of volunteer work. But we had a Burning Man uh, attendee send us a screen grab from the Burning Man Weekly newspaper that comes out with a poll from the Burning Man census or Black Rock City, which is the name of the temporary city as Burning Man, and um, uh, and so they every year they do the census and they had a infographic of one of the questions um, in the newspaper and it was the sexual identity labels in Black Rock City. Now you know sexual identity labels in a survey, particularly a place that like Burning Man, you know there are a lot of different there are a lot of different labels or a lot of different, you know, words you can choose. And I have some quibbles. I know this was done by the census, but I, or the local <laughs> census, I guess, but I have some quibbles with how this works. And maybe I, you know, maybe I'm missing something here, but first of all, it's a pie chart and the numbers add up to over hundred. That's thing number one. The, the labels underneath the chart say people were forced to pick one. So I don't know what's going on here. And they have, monogamous 60%. Okay, polyamorous 20%. Sure. And then they have, you know, open and curious. Doesn't say exactly about what, you know, open and curious could mean open and curious about, you know, a variety of different things. That's a quarter. Um, and then they have some things which there are overlap, you know, these are not mutually exclusive categories like queer, swinger. I am not totally sure what the difference is between some of these. And then kinkster, you can be some of these things at the same time. I think that's obvious and so i'm not sure how people answered it or how this chart was made i don't know what this says about the burning man census but i am just pleased that we could include it and we did a twitter poll saying what would you like us to talk about and this far and away <laughs> crushed the competition well see now i don't
0: i was it two weeks ago i didn't know what a juggalo was now i'm looking at this pie chart and i'm like i have some questions but uh <laughs> is there a <laughs>
1: No, look, I mean, look, if the folks, you know, at the Burning Man census and the folks responding to it and the folks graphing it aren't totally sure, then these are some tricky things. I mean, you know, these are evolving different terms. But that said, I think I, I feel pretty confident that there that some of these, you can be a few of these at the same time. So um, something that's a little bit, I guess, less complicated are coconuts. We got a very timely survey pitch from somebody about National Coconut Day. This was before the holiday, but you know, it's still hot enough that you can enjoy a coconut. And although I am always a little suspicious of numbers, like 95% of Americans are in love with oh, the no. coconut. Oh hey, no, no, no. I get,
0: I'm going to read <laughs> verbatim from this email that we got in all caps. 95% of Americans are in love with the cocoa. <laughs> I see that as an email headline. I'm like, what in the hell are we about to read?
1: <laughs> I know. I know. But yet only 12% of Americans have cracked their own coconut. That seems high. You know? That's oh, I've definitely
0: high. One mean, time in middle school, we rode our bikes to the grocery store. like got at the you're grocery from... store. They're like, Orlando's not on the beach. They're not growing coconuts in Orlando. I don't think. I mean, we just went to the grocery yeah. store and we were like bored teenagers in the middle of the summer. And so we bought a coconut and then like rode our bikes out into a field with a golf club and like tried to crack it open. So there you go. That's what—that's fun, fun things to do in I Suburban mean, Sprawl in 1996.
1: <laughs> I have to say my, so my grandmother is from Florida. She is there now, in fact, uh, refusing to be evacuated. Um, But I think- Cross fingers, she's going to be okay. But she, every time she would visit, she would bring these coconut chocolate patties that I'm assuming she got at the airport in Miami <laughs> or Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, and so for my whole life, I was like, I hate coconut because I would just associate coconut with these like airport chocolates. And, um, and then now I realize, now I'm with the 95% that, that is in love with the cocoa. It both in, whether it's in baked goods, which is more popular, most popular at coconut water straight from the shell in granola. Or as a vessel for alcohol, that was five percent saying that that's how they like their coconut, which I have not tried. But Strongly
0: recommend. Strongly recommend. Not?
1: So, uh, yeah. So, um, so those, so that I think is a way if you want to extend your summer just a little bit longer. Those are some ideas. So, our key findings. I'm not ready to be back. So, thank you to labor unions, coconuts, and sales for making the tradition transition out of summer a little bit easier. Trump's behavior is both his downfall and his appeal, certainly not his views on DACA. Trump Sanders voters don't quite seem like Democrats, and measuring sexual identity is complicated, especially You if can you're find us
0: on out. Twitter at, at the polsters, individually at, at Margiomero and at Anderson. You can find us on Facebook where we post links to stories throughout the week. And you can find us at www.thepolsters.com. Please send us your thoughts, tweet at us, let us know what polls you want us to talk about. And if you have not yet left a review, we always love to hear from you. Great. Thanks. Bye.